Good morning. That was, that was so good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name's Carolyn. I serve as the ministry assistant here at the Shawnee campus. It's so good to be with you all this morning. I love, I love Christmas time. It's my favorite time of year. So the trees, the poinsettias, I'm, I'm so excited to be in this season. I feel like this has just been a couple hard years for all of us, and the meaning of this season, the lights to brighten up the place. I'm just excited for us to have some bright spots together, and I'm grateful to share it with you. If you are new with us, we're so glad you're joining us today. There are some green hello cards in the chair back pockets in front of you. We'd love to get to say hi, learn your name. You can hand that to anyone with a blue lanyard on or feel free to put it in the basket at the hello table. I also want to say a special hello to all our families watching from home today. There's just a lot of sickness and junk going around and everyone is missed who's not here today, uh, but we're glad you're joining us online. Also, if you have anything we can be praying for you about as a staff, we pray throughout the week for you, for this campus. If there's anything specific, we can be lifting up to the Lord with you. We would love the honor to get to do that with you. There are blue prayer cards in front of you as well. You can put that in the tithes and offering box on the back wall. Um, also, if you came prepared to worship through giving in that way, you can also put that in the box. Or there are ways to give online as well. I have just a few announcements for us this morning. The first one is a bummer. The Christmas pageant we were planning to have next Sunday, we've decided to cancel it this year. Uh, with just the rise of COVID numbers, we just really prayed about it and decided at the moment it was wise to hold off. So let's all be praying next year. That might get to happen for all of us to enjoy together. Next announcement, we wanted to let you know about our Christmas Eve plans. So Christmas Eve is a Friday this year, and we will be having two Christmas Eve services here. The first one will be at 4 o'clock, the second one at 5.30. This is just such a special service to attend and be together to celebrate Christmas. There's no child care. It's very family-friendly. It's mostly singing, hearing the scripture of the story we know so well, but always good to hear it once again. Uh, so please consider joining us. There are cards as well in the lobby. Feel free to grab a few to invite some neighbors or family. We're looking forward to that time in a few weeks. And also just for your information, the day after Christmas is a Sunday. We've decided to have one service together at 10 o'clock. No child care that morning either. It'll be just a family Sunday, and kids are more than welcome to come in PJs. It'll be just a fun day after Christmas Sunday together. If you'd stand with me now, please, for the reading of God's word. Our first scripture reading is Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. 
and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And then Luke 1, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church, welcome. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. It's good to be together as we open God's word. Um, and as we do that, let me, I want to pray for us, but I want to do something a little bit different. Um, and so if you go ahead and bow your, bow your heads. Um, and instead of me praying, I'm going to ask you to pray, and I'm going to give you a couple of prompts. So first of all, just pray for yourself that you would hear from God, from his word uh, today as we open it. So let's take a moment and, and pray that for yourself. And now just take a moment to pray for those sitting around you, uh, that they would also hear and experience the presence of God today. And then just take a moment to, to pray for, for me as well, um, that I would communicate uh, forth what God wants for his people today. Lord, Lord Jesus, we do long to hear from you today. And so by the power of your spirit, through your word written so long ago, would you um, take these things, take what, what we need, what we're hungry for um, as a people, uh, and give us um, your presence. Um, help us to hear from you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I love hiking. I mean, really, any, any, anything uh, outside, I'm a big, big fan of. But it, get, like, give me a trail, especially in a national park, and I'm a happy camper. I mean, like, literally, okay? Uh, anything outside, our family, I mean, you're, you're going to get to know that about us. We love, if we can hike or we can play outside, if we can be in nature, camp, you know, any of that sort of thing. That's like, that is our, that's our, that's our thing. That's what, what we do. I'm, I'm, especially, I'm especially fond of hikes that get you like way up above everything else. You know what I'm saying? Like you've, you've probably done some of those where you can just see the beauty for miles and miles and miles. Just stunning. I love, I love doing that. Any chance I get, like I'm, I'm, I want to go to the high place, right? That's what I want to do. Uh, in fact, our, our very first vacation, Kelly and I, very first, we've been married one year, uh, I convinced her to go camping in, in Rocky Mountain National Park. 
which that part was a good idea. That was great. We enjoyed that. Uh, but I also convinced her uh, that it was a good idea that we should summit to the very top of, of Long's Peak, which is the highest point in Rocky Mountain National Park. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you can see the picture. Like, that's the, like the top of that, okay? 14,255 feet. And let me just tell you, it was a terrible idea, okay? Um, it's, it's amazing that we're still married uh, after, after this. Like, we, I, had no, I had no clue how hard this was going to be, but I, I just knew that it was, it was the, the tallest point. Like, I wanted to see the park from the highest point. And so we did this hike. It's 14 miles. It's 5,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, in seven miles, so it's 14 each. So, I mean, you're, you are climbing the entire way, right? It's exhausting. You have, to, you have to start in the middle of the night because you have to get down off the top before the lightning strikes you and kills you, right? You're more likely to die that way than falling. Uh, and so you're like half of the hike, it's pitch black. I mean, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Uh, and there, there are multiple sections on the hike that look like this is the trail. Like literally, this is the trail. That's us. Like we're not posing there. Like that's the trail, Okay, uh, or or other s- sections that look like this. Like, not not kidding, people. Like, and, and again, we like we tried to prepare, we tried to plan ahead, uh, and we ended up, you know, in this this place. I thought for sure we were going to die, or Kelly was going to leave me, or she's just going to boot me right off the side uh, of of the mountain. But when you get to the summit, I mean, people, it's amazing. Look at those young kids. Aren't they adorable? <laughs> Golly. That's almost embarrassing just to see that. I've aged a little bit, okay? It's just like 20 years ago. Um, but like the, the highest of the highs. So you get up there, and it's like, it's unbelievable. The, the view, you can see the curvature of the earth from up there. Like the, the beauty, the wonder, the awe, the majesty, the glory. Even like the fear of it all kind of makes this package. Like there's just something incredible about being most high, being all the way up there above everything else. I mean, it almost, it almost feels like you, you get to, like, see the world from God's perspective. I mean, not really, right? God sees it much more intimately than that. He sees all of it. But you kind of you feel that way, right? There's, there's something, of, like, a sense of, like, authority, of invincibility. Like, it's no wonder that, that militaries, like, they like the high place, right? There's a sense of, of power in that spot, being the most high. That's, that's where I want to be. It's incredible, isn't it? So much so... That this is actually one of the names of God in the Bible, Most High. In the Hebrew, it's El Elyon, just simply means God Most High. It's one of his nicknames. It's one of the things that he's most known for, that our God is God Most High. Not God sort of high, not God way up there, not not God one in in a list of options, right? God Most High. For there is nothing, nothing higher than him. So last week, we, we began our Advent series. We're calling it He Shall Be Called. And we're looking at some of these, these names of God, particularly from the Old Testament, uh, and then sort of seeing how they, they, they fit with the Christmas story, right? How they, how they fit into the, the Christmas season. So last week, we talked about Lord of hosts, right? God of the angel armies. And now, though, when we turn to Psalm 97, if you haven't, go ahead and do that. We turn to Psalm 97, we see that he is El Elyon, God Most High. And, and essentially, I mean, we can look at lots of different places in the scriptures where he is referred to as God Most High. Uh, but basically, just, it means he's in charge, right? 
He's got all, all power, all authority. He sees all. He knows all. Like nothing can stop him. He is the top, right? Like climbing to the top of a mountain, but even greater beauty and wonder and awe and majesty and glory and all of that. It means that, that no matter how high we get, God is higher still. And this is where it starts to chafe just a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of nice, like, okay, God's powerful, he's big, but like, if we're honest, I mean, we kind of want to be most high, don't we? Like, we, we want that place. We want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be the gods of our own existence. Like, I want to be, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, I want to be Nathan most high, right? I want to be able to call the shots. And when I hear that God is higher, like, that, that rubs against me, doesn't it? And maybe, maybe you wouldn't actually say it like that. Maybe, you, well, I don't want to be my name most high, right? Seems a little arrogant. I get, I get that. None of us would actually probably say that. But we do give our, our allegiance to things other than God, right? This is kind of the same idea, right? Something that we think will satisfy us uh, more than, than God, right? That'll, that'll keep us safe or, or you know, we, we put our allegiance there in, instead. And so, so maybe it's not Nathan most high, but it's pleasure most high. Comfort most high, money most high, family most high. Maybe it's success, reputation, politics most high. Personal freedom, safety. I mean, you name it, we can make an idol out of it. We can put it up above God. And so let me, let me just ask, like as we get started here, what, what is most high in your life? Most important. The thing that if it, was, if it was taken away, it would destroy you. Or let, let me ask it another way. In your life, is God most high or is something else? And if you're, if you're wondering how this fits with Christmas, you just have to trust me for a few minutes, okay? We'll get there, I promise. We'll get there. Because first I want to go to Psalm 97. And Psalm 97 was written hundreds of years before the first Christmas, right? So it's, it's way, way, way in the past as a backdrop for us today. And, and you can't miss the first thing that we're going to draw out of this time together today. We already said it, right? Our God is God most high. That's the first thing. Our God is God most high. So no matter how high think you think you are or how high I think that thing is, right, that will satisfy me or keep me safe, God is higher still. And so let's, let's take a few minutes just to walk through Psalm 97 together. Let's, I'm going to kind of walk through the entire chapter for us to hopefully get a picture of what the psalmist is trying to do. So Psalm 97, verse 1, it starts off, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Okay, so the, the psalmist, right, he begins by, by declaring that this is, this is the Lord, okay, this is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. That's who he's talking about. That's really important because sometimes when we, when we read Lord or hear Lord, we think of it kind of in a generic sense. But typically, almost, almost exclusively, when Lord is used, particularly in the Old Testament, it's in the Hebrew, it's, it's the proper name of God. It just, it's, it's the translation of Yahweh, right? So it's not, just, it's not just any God. It's not just any Lord, right? It's Yahweh. He is authority, right? And he reigns, the psalmist says. Like king over all. Like there's no king, no president, no ruler. Nothing competes. The Lord reigns. And the right response, I mean, I love this, right? The right response to this God being king, right? To Yahweh being king is let the earth rejoice. Everything 
rejoice. Everything should celebrate, to, should, should delight, should adore. Like this should lead to great gladness, knowing that this God is the God who's in charge. And then, and then verse 2, I mean, that's just the intro, right? Verse, that's verse 1. Verse 2 through 6 then describe how big, how big and majestic this God is. And the psalmist is using all these different images from, from nature, right? He, he's trying to imagine all the, the highest things, the biggest, most amazing things that he can in his, you know, limited knowledge so that he can then place God at the center. So like all the great things in the world, right? All the amazing things, all the mysterious things, like that's, that's where God's cosmic throne is, right? So verse, verse 2. His clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. It's a beautiful picture, right? That's kind of the idea that this is where God sort of reigns from. He's, he is up above all of it, right? King of all, and the world tells of his glory. And then we come to the tension in the psalm. I mean, the tension is essentially, if God is that high, then how could we possibly give ourselves to anything less, right? Like, again, that's, that's the rub of this. If he's here, why would, why would we say something here is going to satisfy me or keep me safe or give me what I need or tell me that I'm okay? Like, how could I possibly trust anything less than him if he's up there, right? And so verse, verse 7, this is where he draws that out. It says, all worshipers of images, right, of lesser gods are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. And so he's, he's sort of calling out the, the gods of the ancient world, right? The lesser gods of antiquity, the gods that were sort of in, the, the, in competition for Israel's allegiance, right? And even, even though that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't describe us, right? Um, we're not, like we don't have all these like idols, these false gods in that, in that sense. And yet, I think the psalmist would very quickly say, but also money and power and sex, right? Family and security and safety, comfort and ease, like all these other things, right, that we give our allegiance to, that compete for our loyalties to God. And he, he says, right, what does he say? Like, if you do that, they lead to shame. But they're, they're worthless in comparison. And then what does, he, what does he tell the lesser gods to do? I, mean, I, lo- I love that he does this, right? Because, like, the psalmist has this incredible audacity. He has, he has such confidence that his God is the most high God that he tells all of the other gods, all the little gods, the lesser gods, like, you should actually, you should worship him instead. He tells the gods of the nations to do that. And so, basically, it's like he's saying to, to Baal and to Ra and to Marduk, right, to golden calf, and for us, money, sex, power, whatever, right? He's saying, actually, you all should worship Yahweh as well. Because he's the Lord. Even, even over the gods, even over the things that the nations around them are giving their devotion to, that they even should worship Yahweh instead. And this, in turn, makes Israel glad. You can see that in verse, verse 8, right? As the, as the psalm continues, right? So, like they, 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 know, they know that the gods of their enemies are not most high. And so they have nothing to fear of their enemies. So verse 8, right? Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. 
For, for you, O Lord, here it is, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And when we, when we align ourselves with God most high, like the result of that, once you recognize God for who he is, the psalmist kind of gives us essentially two responses, right? We submit and we delight. We submit and we delight. Verse, verse 10 through 12. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous in joy. I love this picture, right? This, this metaphor. Joy is, is sown for the upright. It's like planted, right? For the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. For our God, our God is God most high. And this is, this is the psalmist's hope, right? Nothing, nothing competes with him, not the, not the mountains, not the rulers, not the things that so quickly that I, I run to to tell me that I'm okay, that I'm going to be safe, that my life matters. Like, not, no matter like, how high the garbage gets, or no matter how high we think we are, God is higher still. Why is that good news for us? I mean, it sounds great, but we're lousy at this. You know it. I know it, right? We're terrible. We constantly set ourselves up as most high. We take God's, you know, his instructions as if they're like an advice column. He's like, you know, I really think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own thing, God, right? We kind of treat him like that, right? We want to be the gods of our own lives. We boast or we trust in worthless idols, Again, you may not have a golden calf in your basement, but whatever you're living for, whatever, whatever it is that you think makes your life okay or keeps you safe, whatever you look to as your ultimate joy or authority, if it's not the most high, the most high, then we are selling ourselves short. We're rejecting the most high for something we think is, that's ah, high enough. And as the psalmist says, if that's what we do, if that's our hope, we will be put to shame. And we do it all the time. And so how is this possibly good news for a bunch of sinners like us? Well, this is where we need to turn to Luke 1. So if you've been, if you've been following along, it'll be on the screen as well. But if you want to flip over to Luke 1. Because this now, this was written, again, this is hundreds of years. We read the Bible as if it was all kind of written at the same day, right? Uh, Luke 1 was written hundreds of years, centuries after Psalm 97, after the psalmist describes the Most High in ways that the psalmist could not have possibly imagined, we get to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, you've probably heard the story. There's a virgin. Her name's Mary. She's betrothed to this guy named Joseph, right? Doesn't even know what he's getting himself into in this situation, right? He's, he's trying, to, trying to catch up. There's, a, there's an angel, Gabriel, comes and he says to Mary, the Lord is with you. Now, understandably, this troubles her, right? I, lo I love that Luke says this. She was troubled. Like, yeah, <laughs> I bet, right? And then verse, verse 30, listen to what the angel says. He said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. How does Gabriel describe this child? This Jesus. You can't miss it, right? He's given the same name, right? Uh, that we see in, in Psalm 97, this, this God who is above all other gods, the one who can melt the mountains, right? Who, who's, whose throne is the highest heavens, who judges the world with justice, to whom every person here will give an account. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So here's the Christmas story in a nutshell. God most high became God most low. And just let that, let that sink in for a moment. God most high. There's one that the psalmist describes in Psalm 97 becomes God most low. And we're, we're so Chris, we're used to the Christmas story, right? We, we forget the, the lowliness of it. Like this is, a, this is a terrible story in so many ways, right? From a, from a human perspective, like the king of the universe, God most high, showing up like this as a baby, born into poverty by a couple of nobodies, peasants, unmarried. Even just think of the scandal and shame around his birth. Always known as, you know, that one, that kid, right? Yeah, his parents weren't married. Born in a stable, Manger, unwanted shepherds. I mean, shepherds were like the lowest of the low, right? They were the ones, and barnyard animals. They were there for the celebration. That's it. They were there for the arrival of the Most High, the Son of the Most High on planet Earth. Not a palace, not a throne, not a party. Dirty, helpless, and human. Reminds me of uh, one of Mark Twain's books, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Connecticut Yankee. I don't know if you've read this one or not. It's, it's, I enjoy Mark Twain, so I've read quite a few of his. Uh, but he tells the story in this book, and you probably at least have heard some of it maybe at some point. But uh, the story of this, this 19th century man from Connecticut who wakes up in, like, the world of King Arthur. Right? doesn't really ever explain how it happens, but never, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, not, it's not about the facts of it, right? He wakes up, and he kind of works his way up because he has all this sort of information of technology, and so he ends up becoming an advisor to, to King Arthur. It's, it's a fun story. It's a fun story. Hang, hang with me for a second. So he, he convinces, though, once he starts advising King Arthur, he convinces King Arthur to dress like a peasant in a journey through his kingdom. Like, with the express purpose, like, you need, to, you need to find out what your people are like, what they really need, what they need from their king, and, and how they're hurting, what, what the suffering looks like for them. You've got to dress like them. You've got to become, essentially, one of them and go through to become a better, a better king. And, I mean, it's, it's mostly ridiculous, right? You know, classic Mark Twain. Uh, but we're, we're drawn to these kinds of stories, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're someone high up, right, makes themselves low for the good of others. We love those stories. But a king dressing as a peasant, like it's just no comparison to the most high God of Psalm 97 becoming the ordinary, powerless human baby of Luke chapter 1. Surrounded by sinners, people who reject him, betray him, even abuse him and kill him, the highest of the high becomes the lowest of the low. And for what? 
Who would would possess him to do this? Why Why would God most high stoop to such depths? I mean, church, it's, it's too beautiful for words. He did this in order to lift us up. Not, not to kick us while we're down, but to, to raise us up with him to the highest of heights. Like, not to, to wallow with us in our sin or despair, but to bring us to him. You see, church, and here, here's the beauty of Christmas. Here's why we keep celebrating year after year after year. Christmas means God most high became God most low to lift us up. That's the last thing, and really, church, that's the only thing. Like, if you take one thing with you today, that's it. Christmas means God most high became God most low to lift us up, to know us, to love us, to be with us, and to to raise us up with him, to rescue us from our sinful, self-exalting, idol-making ways. And the reality is, like, the only thing, this is the beauty of the gospel, the only thing that can free us, right, from our, from our tendency to make ourselves most high, which only leads to dis- disappointment and shame. You and I know, right? We, we know, like, when you, when you do that, you hurt the people around you, right, and it leads to disappointment or shame. Or, or, like, the only thing that can free us from our tendency to turn lesser things, lower things, into gods, like money, sex, power, politics, comfort, safety, like whatever, right? Like we know, we know when we do that, it only leads to disappointment and shame. Those things never ultimately satisfy us, and yet we keep running after them, don't we? And the only thing that can free us is a God who is so high, who's so beyond our imagination, right? Who, who's, who's up there, who truly is God most high. There's, there's no comparison. The only one who can actually capture our awe and our wonder, right? His, his beauty and his glory, his majesty. Like, it has to be. It has to be that one, right? It can be no other. And yet, if that's, if that's all our God is, we are helpless and alone, people. He's too far above us. So we have a God who, yes, is that high, but also is willing to, to make himself so low that he could actually reach out and grab us. That he, he came here to be with us, to get us. Church, this story is it's too much, isn't it? That the most high God would, would enter that low place to rescue you and me. And so what do we, what do, we do? with news that's that good? I think there are only two responses. You might have others, but I think, I think two. If we, if we actually believe this, but if our, if our hearts are actually captured by this, I think there's two responses. Get low and get high. Get low. That's the first one. In light, in light of a God who loves us this much, I mean, what else can we do but lower ourselves under his authority like, submit to him. If, he's, if he truly is who Psalm 97 describes him to be, right? How, what else can we do, right? But get off our own thrones. Stop trying to be Nathan most high and trust him to be my safety, to be my defense, to be my comfort, to be my hope, to be my satisfaction, my joy, to be everything, to, to lower myself before him, to give everything I have and all that I am, both now and my hopes for the future, all of it to him, and to follow him, no matter where he takes me. Kind of reminds me of, 
what, what James said. So we were, you know, we were studying James a few months ago, or I guess just you know, a month ago. It wasn't that long. Um, and, you know, James, James was a half-brother of Jesus. Like, like think about that. So they, they like, grew up, essentially, in, like, together, right? Like, imagine, imagine what that, so he knows, he knows the stories, and, and James, like, in the start of his life, he calls Jesus Lord. I mean, think about that. Like, what would it take for you to call your brother Lord, right? Okay, I have a brother. It's not going to happen. But, but James, he saw things, right? He witnessed things. He knew, he knew the beauty of God most high becoming God most low. And he writes these words in, in chapter 4. He says, God opposes the proud. These are words for us, church. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Like, don't, don't miss that last sentence. This is exactly the story that we're talking about, right? The Apostle Peter says the same thing in one of his letters. He, he also knew Jesus personally and, and witnessed this kind of thing, right? This, this humbling of yourself, lowering yourself. Why? So that he can lift you up. So that he is the one who exalts you. So yeah, the first thing is we get low, right? We submit, we give our lives, we give everything. We, we, we reject all of the other things we keep turning to. And we lower ourselves before the Almighty. Get low so that we can get high. And listen, don't, uh, don't take that out of context, okay? Not that kind of high. I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, I can imagine quoting me on social media later on, Pastor Nathan told us the whole church to get high. Um, you know what I mean. Stop it, okay? But, the, I mean, that's, this is the beauty of this, this exaltation. Like, when, when God lifts us up, like when we lower ourselves, right? But he, he comes and he gets us, right? And he, he grabs us and he takes us up with him, right? When that happens, all of those lesser gods, because they, they seem so big from our perspective, don't they, right now? Like everything, everything that you worry about, that, that you're striving for, like it all seems enormous, doesn't it? But when we begin to see them from his perspective, you begin to see how small they really are. And when we stop worshiping them, giving our lives to them, doing everything we can for them, right? When we stop worshiping them, we can really worship him. And that, that's what I mean, I think, by like, like this get high. Like, let him lift you up so you can glory in him, so that we can endure, adore him and enjoy him and delight in him and worship him. This is why Psalm 97, it builds to that picture, right? It concludes with a picture of just like sheer delight. Like the psalmist is almost giddy in the presence of the Most High. He says, again in verse 11, light is sown for the righteous and joy is sown for the upright in heart. Let me just stop. Like God is planting seeds of joy in your life. They might not be plant, they might be blooming now. You might not be able to see it or experience, but those seeds, they're being planted by God himself. And there will be a harvest one day of great joy. And joy for the upright at heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous. And give thanks to his holy name. God most high became God most low to lift you up. So lower yourself that he may exalt you. 
Again, this is, this is exactly what we see with Jesus, and not, not just in the, the incarnation, right? And I, I love this, like, because Jesus, he doesn't, he isn't just God most low, right? I mean, yes, his birth is pretty low, right? It's, it's depressingly low. And his death as a criminal on a cross is lower still, and then he's buried low in a tomb. I mean, Jesus, the story of Jesus is low. But he doesn't stay there. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. He crushed death. He came out of the grave alive, right? Victorious over sin and shame, over, over hell and death, all the evil things, everything that, that, that overcomes us, that saps our joy and our strength. He is victorious over all of it, raised to the highest highs, which is why, why Paul, right, in his letter to the Philippians, like he talks about this. I, I love that Paul does this. Like he talks about, yes, Jesus emptied himself. He lowered himself. He became a servant. He, he humbled himself even to the point of death. But in verse 9 of chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus got low through his death but he was raised higher still through his resurrection. And I love, like, this is even where Mark Twain goes, believe it or not. I don't think Mark, Mark Twain was a person of faith. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't read a Connecticut Yankee without hearing the story of Jesus, truly, okay? Because he, he goes right there in this, this story. So again, like, imagine King Arthur. He's dressed as a peasant. He's visiting his kingdom, and there's this incredible scene where he ends up at the house of a beggar with smallpox. And like, think about that. Even the, the time period in which Mark Twain is writing, think about the, the ancient world in which he's writing about, like, this, this is a death sentence. It's deadly. It's highly contagious. And it's about to claim the life of this young girl, this beggar's home. And the, the man who, who traveled uh, from the future, right, from the modern world, he looks on, uh, and what he sees is unmistakable glory. But it's, it's not the normal glory that you expect of a king. And this, this, is how, this is how Mark Twain describes it. He writes, There was a slight noise from the direction of the dim corner where the ladder was. It was the king descending. I could see that he was bearing something in one arm. He came forward into the light. Upon his chest lay a slender girl dying of smallpox. Here was heroism at its last and loftiest possibility. It's utmost summit. This was challenging death in the open field, unarmed, with all the odds against the challenger. He was great now, sublimely great. The rude statues of his ancestors in his palace should have an addition. It would not be a king in armor, killing a giant or a dragon like the rest. It would be a king in commoner's garb, bearing death in his arms. Friends, that's, that's our story, isn't it? That's the story which we gather for week in and week out. It's a, it's a story that we celebrate for Christmas. Except our king didn't just dress like a commoner. He became a commoner. And he doesn't just sympathize with our greatest disease, sin and death. He allowed himself to be infected on the cross. And he didn't just risk his life. He gave his life. Our God most high became God most low to lift you up. Lower yourself before him, and he will exalt you. Let's pray.
Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for doing that for us. It just, it seems too good to even be able to, to, to speak, too good to be able to get our minds around that you left your throne. You left the palace of heavens, the place in which this, the psalmist describes that, to come here in order to rescue us. But we're so glad you did. And so, God, even though for many of us we've heard the Christmas story, we've heard these things so many times, God, I pray that you would grip us once again with your matchless love for us in the depths that you would, you would go in order to be with us and to be with us forever. Give us comfort in that. Give us hope. Help us to believe that the seeds of joy you've planted will bear much fruit. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Would you stand and sing?